1: Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is Toxic Leadership, Hospital Change is Needed Now. Um, this has been a really big problem across the country, but seeing lots of things coming on with it. It's kind of like one of the outcomes of the world pandemic of, of COVID-19 is the uncovering of all the cracks and deficits in our public health and healthcare systems in the United States that have been happening over many years. It is open now to all eyes at this point that there is no equity in our health care. The poor black, brown, indigenous, and immigrants receive the worst of our care. Uh, The wealthy receive much better care, but still when we look at the statistics of care in the United States compared to other first world countries, we are not only not at the top, in some cases we are not even near the top. My guests today uh, are here to discuss uh, where we are at and how toxic leadership has gotten us here. Dr. Dan Weberg uh, is uh, an expert in nursing, healthcare, innovation, and human-centered patient design. He has clinical experience in the emergency room, level one trauma, nursing centers, and academi- academia. He is currently the Head of Clinical Innovation for Trusted Health and is located in San Francisco. Michelle Lemons is a BSN and an OR educator at the Key Surgical uh, Organization in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So, uh, Dan, could you uh, bring in here a little bit, tell us about your background, your bio, how you came to, ha- to this place in your career?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me again, and it's great to talk about a, a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm an ER trauma and nurse, and that's really the core of me. I, I think um, I, I have that combination of love for adrenaline and uh, sort of self-diagnosed ADHD, so that, that was a perfect <laughs> specialty for me. And um, I've always been interested in innovation and technology, and so I was able to uh, connect with the simulators and the, and the simulation training programs early on in, in my nursing school uh, curriculum, and then ended up parlaying that into building sim centers for Arizona State University. Um, kind of decided I wanted to get into more disruptive change. I like to be on the forefront, the cutting edge of things, and um, did the master's in healthcare innovation program at Arizona State University. Was in the first cohort to graduate with that. And that was really a leadership program led by Tim Porter, Grady, and Kathy Malik, two very iconic nursing leaders. And I um, got really great mentorship from them. And then they created a Ph.D. program, and they said, we need people to apply. And I said, well, <laughs> sure, why not? I'll do that. And um, I was the only student that got in the first round. And so wow. I, uh, I was able to um, you know, be, the, be the one and only student for five years with Tim and Kathy as my mm-hmm. mentors. And so it was just an amazing experience. Um, you know as that, as that kind of traditional curriculum and pathway on the academic side continued, I was able to um, work with dr. Bermelnick as well at Ohio State and um, help design another master's in healthcare innovation program ultimately going to Kaiser Permanente for the last seven years as the director of nursing innovation which was really looking at emerging technologies and leadership across the the entire um, system, 38 hospitals, 60,000 nurses. And, um, and and my last project there was able to even start designing new curriculum for the new Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, uh, specific around how do we address interprofessional education, toxic teams, toxic leadership. And uh, in September of 2019, I decided I wanted to kind of Put my, my mouth where, uh, money where the mouth was and go into a startup company and join Trusted Health to see if I could um, use my talents to disrupt the healthcare workforce and help nurses find passion in their careers and find the job opportunities that um, make them happy and successful.
1: Wonderful! Thank you so much because all of those things are things I, I've been really wanting to talk about. So we'll have lots to uh, go for. So uh, Michelle Lemons, could you uh, do the same thing? Give us a little bio and um, why are you so passionate about toxic leadership and and what is your interest in innovation?
3: Sure, absolutely. I have um, I've worked in healthcare in some form for over ten years, seven years of that being an RN. I've always been, from the beginning of who I am, I think, um, just a very passionate about patient and nursing advocacy. i have always seeking opportunities to help other people reach and realize their potentials or lift them up to achieve their goals, empowering them to overcome obstacles. Throughout my nursing career, I've worked in all areas of patient care, from admission, operating room, acute care, post-acute care, virtually everywhere the patient goes, um, I have worked been a charge nurse and served on several committees, and education has also always been kind of where I fall back to, to both empower others, but also in my career, something I've always been super passionate about. And I think I got super interested in toxic leadership when I first decided I wanted to be a nurse, which was Mm. when I was about seven years old. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Interesting. I was uh, I was in the hospital. I had some kidney issues going on and it was just happened to be right after my parents divorced and my mom was remarried and so there was quite a bit of heat in our family as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And a nurse came in the room in my hospital room when my parents were fighting and she just was able to dissolve the argument and come and talk to me with how are you doing? And I think the most incredible part of that was that it wasn't condescending, it wasn't pity, it was just, she was just absolutely empowered in her knowledge and in her skill and in compassion. And so I think that really is why I became passionate about toxic leadership, because without toxic leadership, when we have healthy leaders empowering nurses, you just get the most absolute, truest form of nursing, and that is... Advocacy, skill, and compassion communication. You get to really exemplify all those things, which is what most of us went into nursing for. Um, So I think that's why I'm very, a strong advocate for removing toxic leadership.
1: I know there are many different kinds of uh, personality assessments, but the one I'm most familiar with is Myers Briggs. And they always say 80%, Mm -hmm. 80 to 84% of people in general, not just nurses, attracted to healthcare, uh, but especially with nurses, have a uh, sensing feeling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, personality, and uh, the rest of us that, that come to it for, from a different point of view um, uh, also saw, many times have that passion, though, that comes with doing something that's very important, helping people in crucial mm-hmm. situations. So it's one of the things that draws me to nurses in general. It seems to be a universal thing. And I agree with mm-hmm. you when you have people who do not understand that and lead from a, a position that uh, disrupts the normal harmony that that could be happening between teams and and uh, in this mm-hmm. difficult work that we do, it just makes everything so much harder. So um, coming back to Dan again, I know you just completed um, a survey with nurses, and uh, I think you just also put it out into the public. Could you tell us about that? What did you learn, and um, you know where did where do you go from there with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, this really uh, spoke to us, this this opportunity to survey nurses on how they're being supported spoke to us in the middle of the COVID, although we're still in the middle of the COVID kind of crisis. But <laughs> we were, um, in our viewpoint at, at Trusted Health, we are deploying nurses to all 50 states. And as COVID uh, crisis ramped up in New York, we are deploying up to 200 nurses a week to uh, COVID hotspots. And wow. from that viewpoint, we were able to see a lot of different factors across multiple Facilities, uh, healthcare facilities, and how nurses were treated. And some were treated amazing. Some healthcare leaders were reverting back into a very transactional, very like archaic, hierarchical kind of model of, of just threatening. Um, and and we 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 wondered what nurses were actually experiencing across the board. And so we sent out a survey to uh, just over fifteen hundred nurses, working nurses across the country, asking. You know, how are they feeling supported by their facilities and how is their wellness and specifically their mental health being supported? And Mm -hmm. we found a couple of interesting uh, pieces there. So first, uh, across the board, it's probably not surprising to the listeners or to, to the both of you, but nurses feel like health systems do not support their mental health and wellness in any way. I mean, it was like of, you know, on a scale of being, I think it was one to 10, that it was like rated a three. So um, just really, really bad. It's like just no resources um, being, being given to these nurses working in very stressful situations, especially during COVID. And we also asked them, you know, based on this information, how are you, how is your commitment to the nursing profession? And I think this is also not surprising to us because we're mm-hmm. in it, but Um, about 86 to 90 percent of the nurses said they are more committed to the profession than ever. So despite not being supported Mm -hmm. and being burned out and being treated, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a way that they don't feel is optimal, they're still more committed to the profession and their patients than ever. I think that speaks a lot to the nursing profession in general. But it also worries me that we're putting up with a lot of stuff that we don't need to. And I think Mm -hmm. we need to think about Mm -hmm. a change. And and that, that survey really brought that home for us.
1: Yes, that's amazing. And then what will you do going forward? Is is this something you repeat again at some point or um, take it to a new level?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I'm always about like, what do we do about this stuff? So I I like action and I think that's the ER nurse in me, but well, we decided to actually uh, leverage some uh, opportunities and connections we um, we have in, in uh, with Ohio State University. So I reached out to the dean there, Dr. Bern Melnick, who's well known with evidence based practice and all and all that great stuff. And um, she she's a big proponent of mental health for nurses, and so we right. were able to form a partnership with her. Uh, in two ways, the first way was we created a, a national support line that uh, was staffed by mental health nurse practitioner faculty, and so it was a nurse to nurse connection that frontline nurses could call at any time in order to um, just de- you know, talk about their anxiety, talk about the stress, talk about anything that was uh, bugging them because we saw so many, we, I mean we had nurses calling us crying um, you know, yeah. after shifts and things. so it was that resource. And then the second part of that was we wanted a longer-term solution to this. How how can we help nurses build coping mechanisms so that they can deal with it in the short term while the rest of us fix this system that's so broken? And so we created this wellness partner program in which we have over 200 nurses enrolled in it, and those nurses get one-on-one coaching from nurse practitioner students and nurse practitioner faculty at the Ohio State University College of Nursing um, over a six- to uh, eight-week engagement. And that's really helping them build coping skills. So that was a small part that we were able to leverage and and create um, for for the nurses involved with trusted health. And then we tried to spread that word and use that to catalyze others to do amazing work in this space, too. And you might have seen American Nurses Association has come out with a huge mental health resource center. Um, Other other institutions are building support lines and coping um, skills for nurses. And so we hope that we helped catalyze some of that into the national consciousness so that we can take care of the people taking care of us.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. um, also on, on my page on my website, but also on the uh, Living Buddhism and uh, Facebook page for Once a Nurse. We also have some uh, resources for nurses to be able to call in, um, some talking circles, uh, some resources also with people who are trained in being able to uh, uh, do some counseling, coaching kind of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. But I think for most nurses, um, they don't have time to access, like like you were, somebody was saying, a webinar, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, something that takes a lot of time. They need to be able, to, in that moment, when they have 10 minutes, be able to connect with somebody. And I think that's absolutely imperative. Michelle, tell me about your thoughts as you mm-hmm. hear these Um, information from the survey. Any surprise? Yeah. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, I
3: wish I could say, like, wow, those are shocking. But I feel like all of us who have worked in the field are like, yeah, absolutely. I think that oftentimes I have felt and I have seen and other people have communicated that hospital systems... Need they need change right now. I mean, such is mm-hmm. the topic of our conversation, but it's almost like this harm or lack of support or whatever title we want to put on it is seen as the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. And hospitals are not only neglecting, it, and I'm generalizing here, but with leadership to see the true value in nurses, not only Mm -hmm. as people and as imperative to their own personal well-being and health, but also, I mean, just the retraining of a nurse. So like someone leaves and somebody else comes is thousands, Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands. We have great clinical research supported by data after data that says An unhealthy nurse is not going to breed a healthy patient. You have worse patient outcomes across the board if you don't take Uh care of the people who are taking care of you. So, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. And the thing I think is very encouraging, though, is that we're saying, hey, it's not okay. It's not going to continue. And just like Dan said... Here are the immediate resources that you need that you can have while the rest of us who are outside of it in this moment and still passionate about it change the game for you and change the face right. of the organization, institution, and culturally. Right. Um, interestingly, is the, the conversation has shifted in some of the research, too, to um, the theory of oppressed groups, which I mm-hmm. think greatly describes what Nurses are experiencing in society right now, and we're just able to finally kind of broadcast it to the public both person- you know personally, institutionally, and culturally we're seeing all of that um all those forms of oppression, all those levels mm-hmm. for the nursing profession right now.
1: So are you meaning in terms of within the healthcare system so um the hierarchy mm-hmm. of administration doctors nurses or are you speaking about something else
3: mm-hmm. I think I think yes and I think individually nurses go into it like we said with this mentality of I want to help other people I want to take it's like a deep devotion and to their patients mm-hmm. and their love for their career Institutionally, we kind of have this mentality of that's the cost of doing business if you have to suffer, or you Mm -hmm. kind of signed up for this when you went to school. And currently, with COVID 19, the conversation has turned to you're a hero. So your life is lost and it's considered a sacrifice instead of Mm -hmm. considered a travesty and something we absolutely cannot stand for. And so it's all getting lost, which all aligns with the theories. And research on oppression, thats that says, yeah. if I tell you what to think, I don't even have to worry about what you do. You know, there's a uh-huh. good author, his name is Dr. Carter Woodson, and he wrote, when you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. You don't have to tell him not to stand here or go over there. He will find his proper place, and they will stay in it. So you don't need to send them to the back door. They'll go to the back door, and if there is no back door, they'll make one to make it easier for you and for the other's benefit, which I think is what we're seeing in nursing, continued, Mm -hmm. continued oppression, and we need more advocates
1: it's interesting i want to get back to dan too but i just was watching a video with stephanie ferguson and she's a representative for who uh, world health organization and she mm-hmm. uh was talking about the nurses in uh africa during the covid that they simply refused to work unless they had the proper PT, mm. uh, ppe and um ventilators and all of the other equipment they needed they were like yeah patients are going to suffer but sorry, we're not going to sacrifice our lives. And of course, within days, they had everything they needed, and they have continued to have everything they needed. So a little bit supports what you're saying. So Dan, talk Mm -hmm. about toxic leadership. When we're talking about that, what exactly are we talking about?
2: Yeah, so um, toxic leadership is kind of interesting. I think... Um, there's a fine line between, like, just not being a good leader, which may be unintentional and you just don't have the skill sets to, you know, this this idea of toxic, which is kind of, you, you think of it as a sepsis of leadership. It, it, it kind of infects the entire system and creates chaos. Um, and there's there's two ways to think of toxic leaders. So first is the intentional toxic leader. And I think, you know, all of us have probably run across that person at some point, like they are... They love the power. They love the control. They set up structures to minimize your ability to do any influence. Everything runs through them. And, uh-huh. um, and they kind of control the situation, similar to what Michelle was saying. The other side of toxic leadership is just the pure dysfunctional leadership behaviors of people who have never had formal leadership training. And they're not able mm-hmm. to reflect on their impact as a leader, but they spin off a lot of chaos within the groups in which they interact. And, and there's some data on this. There's, um, there's some behaviors and things that, that are, are specific around this, like creating in-group and out-group, being able to manage up but never be able to manage your own team um, uh-huh. th- there's there's kind of a list of behaviors, and th- and there's a lot of case studies outside healthcare about this too, and and big stories like um, the the guy who created DeLorean, Mr. DeLorean, he was a very toxic, dysfunctional leader, and and it shows uh-huh. his life cycle and things, and so you can learn from those historical. Standpoints, but what it does is it creates so much drama and chaos within the teams that are being led uh-huh. by that leader um, that they become completely dysfunctional and almost obedient to that leader, with because they're afraid of losing their job or um, or, or or all the other ramifications, getting yelled at, all the ramifications of kind of poor leadership. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the the other piece of the data is that this is being shown to impact not only like team outcomes and burnout among healthcare workers. But it's directly linked to patient mortality increase. So not only yeah. is dysfunctional leader burning out our nurses, but it's killing our patients. And yet, you know, when we, when we try to address, we say, oh, well, that's just how that leader is, or that's just how that physician or nurse is. Like, uh-huh. you just have to kind of get to know them. But if that, you know, in a similar situation, when, when a nurse makes a medication error or you know has a near miss or even kills a patient, we don't say, well, that's just how nursing is; it just happens. <laughs> we we kind of we don't ever dismiss yeah. that, but we dismiss these toxic leadership behaviors. And uh, so my platform is we gotta we gotta treat bad leadership just as seriously as we treat never events and quality right. indicators like. Happypies and Codies and all those things, and if we don't we 're going to have a system that continues to stay broken and we 're going to facilitate this chaos within it
1: so mm-hmm. is there any correlation in your mind, Dan, between um, some of these corporation um, hospitals that have been uh, set up um, I, I knew that those have in fact I was in one that was developing, but um, I didn't realize to the extent I've heard of hospital uh, corporations that have as many as 800 hospitals across the country. Um, Do you see any correlation between that, or is that something completely separate?
2: You know, I think, I mean, I think just like the rest of us, we've heard rumors about those things, the for-profits versus the not-for-profits and the leadership and the motives. And I think there's probably some truth to all of that. But I mean, I've worked across all of those types of organizations, inside and outside, you know, hospital systems. And um, a toxic leadership it lives everywhere. <laughs> you have, you okay. know, you have a, mm-hmm. a very mission-driven, very um, well-known, high-performing organization, and at the top is a toxic leader. So, hmm. it, 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 I don't think it matters necessarily the, the structure, although that may facilitate some of it. Um, I think it, it's more of um, I think it's more of an individual type issue uh, that, that is um, kind of spread, uh, not, not maybe through the profit or not for profit, but uh, more in just lack of leadership training.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other things that's coming up a lot is suicide Um, I know there's been a lot of studies that have been done with doctors But um, I have not heard of any studies that have been done with nurses Are you aware of of any that have been done there? I have to assume that the amount, uh, the increase in doctors is incredible And just keeps going up So nurses has to be in that same realm
2: yeah, I, I think there there is. I can't name them right now. I know um, Dr. Bern-Melnick has been a proponent of this and has done some screenings and de- um, studies on depression and, and suicide ideation and things among nurses. So it, it may be prudent to look to look that up. But, you know, this this has been a problem even before COVID. And, and um, when I was helping build the Kaiser Med School, I was you know, we'd sit shoulder to shoulder with my physician colleagues. And we'd have the wellness group come in and they'd talk about, you know, well, we're going to do yoga, we're going to have, you know, workout days, and just make sure you take time off, and the, and we'd all roll our eyes, in the, in a, and the physicians yeah. would be like, I don't need yeah. another thinking yoga class. Like, <laughs> I need structural change to address mm-hmm. this. I, I can't see 30 patients a day and stay healthy, and I can't be on answering, you know, 200 messages on the electronic medical record at night. Like, that's the issue. I don't I don't need to breathe <laughs> deeply. I need structural change. And I think that's kind of the the mm-hmm. crux of what we found with the survey. It's like, yes, there's employee assistance programs. There's, you know, there's pizza parties for, you know, getting <laughs> through the rough shift and all that kind of stuff. But no one's really addressing the structural issues of staffing and, and burnout and all those things um, mm-hmm. more intentionally. They're kind of sugarcoating it with these things that we associate with, with wellness but aren't actually removing the barriers at the system level.
1: Yep. So Michelle I yeah uh, what mm-hmm. do, do I'm just going to answer your
3: question as well. I, I did quite a bit of research on this on a on a web uh, webinar that I recently did called Nurses Eat Their Young because they're starving mm-hmm. and there's actually a nurse her name is Judy Davidson who she got started with her research about nurse suicide when she found out that three people she worked with had actually committed suicide. So immediately she started looking for data. She's like, how is this happening? How are we not talking about this? And so it, I believe it was in June of 2019, she actually published her research that she had done, and it showed that female nurse suicides were about 12, almost 12 per 100,000, and they were significantly higher in female and male suicides in nurses than in other populations, Mm -hmm. in the general population. So for the female population, it was about 12 per 100,000, and male nurses were actually almost at 40 per 100,000, which were both higher than the population. And I completely agree with what Dan has just said. I just echo that further. We're putting all this resilience training and massages and things when that is absolutely I think a band aid and almost kind of a slap in the face to put a band aid on top of a problem that's so big and so severe.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we have this is an excellent time to go for a break here so I think that's what we're going to do um, we're talking about toxic leadership hospital change is needed now and my guests are Dan dr Dan Weberg uh, head of clinical innovation for trusted health and uh, Michelle lemons who is an uh, or educator at key surgical in edina Minnesota uh, we have been talking about um, toxic leadership we've been talking about suicide and nursing And we will be back to continue this conversation in just a couple minutes.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. WomeninHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join Women in as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HealthPros to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual Leadership Summit on October 22nd, 2020. Women in to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse.
1: Thank you for returning with us to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and we're talking today about toxic leadership and how hospital change is needed now. My guests are D- Dr. Dan Weberg, Head of Clinical Innovation uh, for Trusted Health. He's located now in San Francisco, and Michelle Lemons is uh, uh, working as an OR educator at Key Surgical in Edina, Minnesota, currently. Um, we have just been talking about nurse suicide and uh, the stress levels. That um, part of it comes from uh, toxic leadership. Part of it comes from sort of the motivation that we have co- as nurses coming into the the profession. Um, maybe each of you could just say a couple of words or a couple, a little bit, couple minutes each, and just talk about why you think it is that nurses are so susceptible to either mental health issues and or suicide. Dan
2: yeah I mean i think uh i think I think there's system issues like we've talked about earlier that uh put us at risk. There's not a lot of um support put into like crisis interventions and and you know when you have those crazy shifts or those bad days, there's not a place that you can immediately turn if you haven't built out your own support network but I think that that can lead to burnout and and ultimately to outcomes like suicide or major depression and those type of things. I think the other piece is just the nursing culture in general is very um, is very like shift focused, and mm-hmm. um, you know we we talk about burnout, but then when you throw a bigger paycheck and overtime and double time in there, we're happy to go work six shifts in a row. So <laughs> I think it's kind of this double edged sword where. The system's not supportive, and at the same time, the system incents us, and we're willing to do it to go and burn ourselves out. And I know a ton of nurses, and I was guilty of it when I was at the bedside, too, of picking up extra shifts or going across the street to the hospital or the clinic and doing work, you know, working 12, 12 hours at night and then going working six more in a clinic. So I get it, and but I think we need to move ourselves away from this shift mentality or this dollar-per-hour mentality into this professional mindset. Uh, and, uh, or we're going we're gonna to continue to burn ourselves out for a paycheck and it, it's just not worth it.
1: Right. And it seems like no matter what the paycheck is, it's never enough because we just keep upping the ante on either what it is that we want or the lifestyle we want to live or the toys we want to have, et cetera. And as we know again from research, that those things are not the things that make us happier. Um, Michelle, what is your thought mm-hmm. about the subject? Yeah, I think I I again ditto. I completely agree with what Dan is saying. I think
3: also it's just like a very there's there's not a lot of careers that tax you in all the ways, mentally, emotionally, physically. It's a very intimate relationship that you end up having with your patients and hopefully with your colleagues. So I think that also leads to stress and not exactly knowing knowing how to manage some of those things or thinking like, well, I did go into nursing and so I should expect to kind of go through some of these things, but I'm really struggling right now. So just getting, just having that moment of pause to even develop our own self-intelligence or emotional intelligence about ourselves or pausing to take that assessment, instead it becomes well my family could use the money i could pick up an extra shift or i should be able to deal with this or maybe this isn't a big deal where we kind of have to remember there is that that wonderful gray line that makes us human where we feel things and we have to remember to care for care, and nurture and develop that part of ourselves as well just like we do with Physical exercise and everything else. There has to be an emotional part that gets rebuilt as well in between. So I think that really adds to some of this nursing suicide or Mm -hmm. depression, burnout, all of that. We feel like we should be able to do it. Why can't we do it? So we just keep going until we literally can't.
1: So um, one of the things that I always noticed is when I was teaching nursing, uh, one of the things I always ask my students is, you know, pull out whatever you use for your calendar or your, you know, day, day book or whatever it is where you're putting down appointments and tell me how many times in this week. You are scheduled in there. And, you know, they kind of look up at me like, you know, the the entire book is black with all the things they have to do, but they don't really schedule anything for themselves. And if they do, they change it. If anybody calls or anybody says, you know, I really need you for the PTA or we need more cookies. And so your time that you may have set aside for yourself, just, yeah, sure, I can I can do that. Mm. So, either comments on either, yeah, of that, for you for that, Dan. I like Dan's
3: uh, comment sorry. before about leadership. <laughs> sorry, Dan, you can go.
2: No, no, I was saying you should go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, <laughs> well, I'm quoting you. I'll quote you with a lack of of leadership training as well. I mean, if you pick up any leadership book. Um, a lot of it will will lend to the leader learning how to encourage motivate and and tell their employees or the people that they lead how to take care of themselves and nurture themselves my boss right now is like incredible at this and my boss's boss they're constantly asking me like well what do you need who do you want to be what kind of conversation do you want to have and i'm I'm kind of floored by that and really encouraged. They're just an excellent example of leadership. And so I think back to Dan's comment before, if we pause and really encourage our leaders to get that leadership training, I do think that that would would help to solve that as well, to say like, hey, it's important that you invest as much in yourself as well, and here's why. You can be better. Our patients have better outcomes. Um, All of
1: that will really lend to that as well. Right. Um, I'd like to turn a little bit to innovation. Um, kind of what are some of the things that I, I think that this is a, a little known secret about nurses that we are excellent at. Um, solving problems. It's like we see a problem, solve a problem, see a problem, solve a problem. And we'll come up with some pretty incredible things, but nobody ever hears about it. If that innovation ever gets to the surface, it's usually attributed to the manager or maybe somebody else, but uh, very seldom to the person who actually came up with it. Dan, do you want to address that a little bit?
2: Yeah. um, I I mean, this has been the focus of my career for most of it. um, And... I I think you're right. I think nursing innovation is kind of hidden underneath the covers of of health systems. I think that happens for a couple of reasons. One, nursing education does not teach anything about innovation. Um, They teach about problem solving and critical thinking, which is a component of it, but they don't talk about how you take an idea to implementation. I think the mm-hmm. very basics of that are covered in something like an evidence-based practice course, but not never about how do you protect ideas, how do you copyright ideas, how do you patent things, who do you need to talk to to protect yourself, how do you even take it to market, um, and, and I still so I think there's a gap there, and nurses just tend to like throw ideas out, and then people take them and spin them off, and it's just it's more of a lack of understanding of that whole process. But I think the other piece is, and this is some interesting uh, research that. Again, Bern Melnick did, but she did it on evidence-based practice, which I, which I, you know, that's changes of practice within the practice setting, which is a form of innovation. And what she found is the number one barrier to innovation in a health system is the frontline nurse manager. And, and it's not the nurse managers, like, actively destroying people's dreams of change, but they're yeah. just not incented to do it. They're incented to maintain the status quo and keep, keep chaos at a minimum. And so when people mm-hmm. come with new ideas, they literally have no idea how to take that anywhere. And so we need to do, do a better job of uh, understanding how change occurs in populations, organizational culture and dynamics, and all of these things that we just don't teach within nursing school, master's you know, school, DNP programs don't really teach this stuff. And I think that needs to be a core curriculum because ultimately you're right. Nurses are leaving change every single minute of the day, and we need to understand how the how that impacts the rest of the system. So, I'm a big proponent for complex adaptive systems work. We've written a couple books on that, and and I think the more we understand the complexity of systems and how our actions interact with others, um, we can be more prepared to actually drive innovation because nurses are the center of most care. Everything kind of comes through the nurse. And so we're the best positioned to actually move innovation forward and coordinate it with all the stakeholders that need to be involved.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michelle, uh, talk about innovation from your point of view, but also, do you know of, can you think of any specific examples of uh, nurses that have have done innovation that maybe they didn't get credit for? Sure. I, I
3: think that I can't think of anyone specific right this second for a specific example for not getting credit. I know that I recently was was watching a TED Talk and reading an article by a nurse. Her name is Rebecca Love, and she said, on average, nurses do around 27 workarounds per shift. So 27 ways of MacGyvering something to work better for themselves, and exactly like Dan said, we never have been taught or had the opportunity to say, hey, why don't we actually change the way this is? But the other thing that that I'm really encouraged by, and I feel like we're hearing more and more about it, and Rebecca Love spoke about this as well, is they're called nurse hackathons. Mm -hmm. So you get a group of nurses together, and you postulate a problem, and you allow them to work together in groups. And beyond that, they also have in that same space. Someone come in and talk about patenting and someone come in about entrepreneurship and how to start your own business. And so I think that as overwhelming as it is, it's starting. And as long as we can continue to make the positive voices louder, we will further encourage Mm -hmm. all of that innovation in nursing. I mean, we could each probably think of like 15 things that we did at the bedside that just made the shift easier or were more efficient. Um, yeah. But beyond that, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're not thinking like, hey, I should learn how to patent this. But mm-hmm. but we need to further have that. If you know that education when you're going to nursing school, you're way more likely to be able to implement the change that you need.
1: Just out of curiosity, have either of you been to a hackathon? Dan?
2: Yeah, I, I, I have. Um, I participated in them at, at, when I was at Kaiser Permanente. I, I think they're great to catalyze innovation. I, I do have a little bit of a bias. Mm-hmm. In it. I, I have kind of two pet peeves about innovation. One, I think people uh, equate innovation with the amount of Post-it notes a single person can produce in a given arbitrary <laughs> time period. And I think um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really big misconception. Um, that brainstorming is innovation, and it's not. It's a tool Um, to kind of start the process. And then the second piece Mm -hmm. is, you know, hackathons are great and they get a lot of energy. I just have yet to see a hackathon lead to something that turns into a company or or into an idea that spreads Mm. really um, meaningfully. It comes up with great product ideas and people get pitches and it it catalyzes that energy of like, oh, I could do this. Um, Mm -hmm. But but I just Mm -hmm. haven't seen it take that, that next level. And now being in a startup, I realize like how hard it is to build an actual functioning company and right. just, sure. just in the, the intention and the energy it takes to do that. You know, a regular, you know, working three shifts a week nurse is not going to be able to do that. And so it, it takes kind of that mindset and that professional shift to say, like, I'm all in. Because if you're not yeah. all in, you're not going to yeah. be able to build something all that successful. Like, so it, it's that kind of balance and I think we just got to do better education and better kind of processes or support structures to help nurses support, understand that. Yeah. And then also if they want to take that leave, like let's recognize that because mm-hmm. nursing is not just bedside nursing. I think we kind of equate it with bedside patient care, but like, how do we support nurses in doing all these other cool things um, like building companies and, and doing these, taking their hackathon idea mm-hmm. to a product? Exactly.
1: Michelle.
3: Yeah. So uh, number one, this is why I'm absolutely passionate about education is because this is where You have an idea, and you need the education, and you need the resources to go ahead and do it. And as you get education, giving education, I think, is so huge. The other thing is that I think is cool about Key Surgical, where I work right now, is it was actually started by three nurses who were doing a workaround. They were frustrated. They couldn't get the supplies that they needed when they wanted, and they said, all right, enough. And so I think that boldness and the courage to go out on your own, like you said, and say, hey. I need something that I don't have and I'm going to go get it, is what we can propagate through encouragement and our voices and education and just trying new things as a profession. Mm -hmm. So, Great.
1: It makes Um, me really really excited about the future. One of the innovations that I was actually thinking of, and I'm sorry I put you on the spot, Michelle, but what I was thinking of is we've been hearing about with COVID that um, uh, patients are being put in a semi-prone position. I've forgotten what they call it, um, but that on their on their uh, bellies, basically. Um, Mm-hmm. And that is been what they finding is that with COVID it is makes it much easier for the patient to breathe and even for the uh ventilators to work better. Uh so mm-hmm. I just I, I'd been hearing about that for quite a while and I hadn't really thought too much of it. And then I heard it was a nurse that came up with that. And that's spread, you know, all across the country in ICUs and actually in the world. So um those are kind of really cool yeah. things. So, what do we need um, to create the workforce, of the nursing workforce of the future, that can take on um, the the dysfunction that is now in our healthcare right now? So, Dan, do you want to start?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a couple pillars that we need to fundamentally change. One, I think we need to update nursing education in general and include more technology as a support system for. The work we do, not, and I'm not talking just electronic medical records, but I mean everything. There are apps for literally everything, and if we can curate a, a mm-hmm. ecosystem of technology to support nurses' work, I think they become more efficient, and they become less stressed because there's less manual work. Um, there was a study done that like 36% of nurses' time is hunting and gathering people and supplies, yes. and that's just a lot of wasted <laughs> time. That can be enhanced by better communication, better technology, those type of things. So if you got a third of your day back, that's a huge amount of time to chart, to connect with patients, to relax, to get a break. And so I think we need to do better there. Um, I think the other piece is we we just need to focus more on our people uh, and support them in ways that uh, are aligned with where the culture of workforce is going, which is more flexible and less 30 years and a pension. And so we need to support nurses in being flexible in their work, having different working shifts, you know, cutting back 12 hours, maybe having variable shift times, um, being able to even think of the heresy of salaried nurses and and patient populations Mm -hmm. that they manage and all that kind of stuff. So um, Mm -hmm. those fundamental changes. And then, you know, just just allowing nurses to build an evolving culture of the profession away from the fact that just because you've spent you know, 15 years at the bedside in the same place, now that that equates to your value to that organization right. rather than your performance and your quality and your caring and all the other factors that actually make a difference in the patient care. So, you know, you put in these new graduates in the worst shift on nights on the worst right. unit with the worst staff yep. and the worst patients. And you hope they no stick around with you. And no orientation. <laughs> like, please stay with us for forever. And these nurses are like, I'm going to get my year, and then I'm going to go find where I really want to go. And so we exactly. got to kind of break down this culture of, like, years equate to value. I think that's a piece of it. But we need to start looking at performance and, and those type of things. So I think if we can if we can fix some of that and enable them with technology, we'll have a, a really high-functioning profession in the future.
1: That sounds good. Michelle? Yeah,
3: I agree with that mentality shift. My, my husband and I just got a quote from a plumber for a job. And he said, man, like, you could get five different quotes from five different plumbers to do one job, and they get to say whatever they want. And he said, nursing just has a mentality, my husband's a nurse as well, of This is kind of what I'm dealing with, and I just have to deal with it. And I think it all goes back to that organizational idea of, like, well, this is just the cost of doing business, and we absolutely need to abolish that and say, no, it's not, and we're not going to do this anymore. We've got to change. We've got to update technology with the conversation with the user instead of rolling out a new, you know, System for managing healthcare information. We need to talk to the user. How is what you're using right now? What works? What doesn't? And how can we build it better? Mm-hmm. Bringing nurses to the table, giving them a voice. If you are writer, write. If you are speaker, speak. If you're the silent type who likes to efficiently get things done, awesome. Just come together completely as a profession and say we need to mentality shift right now and and change the game for ourselves. That boldness and courage to start our own business if we want to and where do we find those resources so
1: yeah hopefully just from really each other one
3: another okay.
1: one of one of the things that um i've been thinking a lot about too and i think i just lost my train of thought <laughs> um uh is uh the concept that nurses uh it's kind of like uh, again presented with those we we don't have what we need we don't have the money we don't have you know whatever it is and nurses will always you know look at the patient or look at what the, the outcome is that you want and say okay if we don't have that what can we do instead and again this um, video that I was watching was Stephanie uh, Ferguson, Ferguson from uh, WHO she talked about you know utilizing uh, especially right now uh, the The skills that we have in APRN nurses who have all of the abilities to be able to go out on their own, establish a clinic, um, you know maybe in out in the the mountains or in you know some area that doesn 't have a lot of health care um to be able to just really go out there and make it happen, and we 're not allowing them to do that we 're putting all kinds of barriers in in their way so that it isn 't easy for them to be able to make that happen, so I think that there's already we already have the kinds of things that we need in a lot of ways for nurses to take a lead in healthcare, and especially in this kind of situation where there's there's no policy or procedure that's already written down. It's like you have to develop it and kind of create it on on the fly, and nurses seem to be particularly um, good at doing that. And so, um, I think that I'm hoping that uh, one is to recognize that we have to have health as a priority. Um, if we do not have um, uh, even a part of our population, let alone the amount of our population now, that does not have good health care um, is reluctant or, or fearful of addressing health care problems until they're so big and huge uh, that um, it's a big problem. So, um, yeah, so... Um, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted here. Um, so I think that that is one of the things. I think if we utilize the 3.8 million nurses that we already have in the country and we give them a lot of responsibility to be able to help direct where healthcare goes, from here, We've got a perfect opportunity because basically our house of cards has fallen down. Everybody can see the problems. All we need to do is shovel it up and create something better. So I think nurses are, are uniquely uh, situated to be able to do that. Um, I'm not quite sure, but it looks to me like um, we are supposed to close. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. This is... Uh, Oh, five minutes. Okay. Uh, Hopefully they can edit this out. Um, Yeah, so Mm -hmm. we just have uh, just a few minutes here. If each of you could just have a final uh, comment that if there's one thing you'd like um, nurses around the world to know about this, what would it be? So, Dan, what what would you like people to know?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think know that you know. Number one, the year of the nurse has now officially been extended um, yes. to I think July twenty twenty one, according mm-hmm. to American Nurses Association. I think we um, we got sidetracked by a few things uh, for the first run of Year of the Nurse, so let's let's like double down on that and jump in and say you know we we have an opportunity to really lead change in a healthcare system to partner with our interprofessional colleagues in a way that's never been done before. And and actually build a system better than it used to be. We've seen the cracks. Let's write those down and fill them in and even repave the street if we have to, um, because it, it's not going to function. The worst thing that could happen in this whole crisis, pandemic and social unrest is that we go back to the way it was. And if that happens, I think mm-hmm. we're going to lose. Um, half of the 3.8 million nurses in the country to other professions—they're just going to be done. So, we need to step up and, and build the future that we want to have. And uh, and and you know, there's a lot of resources now for nurses to do that. So, connect with us. Connect with me. I'm happy to help connect. And um, and let's build the future we want.
1: Exactly. And uh, stop listening <clears throat> to people who know absolutely nothing about healthcare. Uh, Michelle, <laughs> what would you like to? let nurses know. Yeah, I think that um, chaos,
3: again, creates an opportunity and it's okay to get angry and it's okay to channel that anger into changing it into the system that you want to see. If someone closes a door, find a window, find another door and find a partner, an advocate, a mentor, someone to go right along with you. I think that we need to turn these concerned into action and exactly what Dan said is we're going to lose half of our incredible people and the saddest part of that is is they're going to be the ones who have the passion and love for patient care that we need to continue the nursing profession to what we went in for in the first place and that's to care for others and to to really advocate for them and just once again the the lack of support and this, this lack of leadership is not the cost of doing business, and we should absolutely not stand for that. Exactly like those nurses in Africa you were talking about, yes. we need to do quite a bit more speaking up, speaking out, and placing boundaries and saying, absolutely not. Boundaries are the healthiest response to oppression and for being mistreated. We need those boundaries, we need them firm, and we need repercussions if they are crossed.
1: And the wonderful thing is that um, with more education that's available for nurses, uh, even up to a doctorate level and the APRN, which is advanced practice um, nursing, um, there's just so much more that nurses can do. And I think they're surprised themselves to realize how much they really can contribute to this area. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, I'm... um, uh, long in the tooth. Uh, what do we call it? Season. I'm a seasoned nurse. Um, that mm-hmm. for years we used to get, uh, asked to do many different things and we would just say, you know, we can't do it, but then we would, we would manage it. I just wanted to quote, close with a quote. Um, everything you do is based on the choices you make. It's not your parents, your past relationships, mm-hmm. your job, the economy, the weather an argument or your age that is to blame, you and only you are responsible for every decision you make. That was from Wayne Dyer. And I'd also like to add also not to choose is to choose. If we do not make a choice, mm-hmm. we've actually made a choice. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We've been talking about toxic leadership, health hospital change is needed now. And my guests have been Dan, Dr. Dan Weberg, uh, and Michelle Lemons. And thank you both so much for being here with us.
0: Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.